go. When, when, when I was, um, was growing up was, what is going to be number one in the Christmas charts? It was always a burning question looked forward to with great excitement and anticipation. I googled um, Christmas number ones from 1952 to 2018 and I found all kinds of, of useless information, some of which I am about to impart to you. And who knows, if you are playing musical Trivial Pursuit or something over Christmas, you might were glad that you listened to these facts. The Beatles have the most Christmas number ones. Four. Closely followed by that greatly talented group called the Spice Girls, who, who have three. Only seven actually included the word Christmas. The first version of Band-Aid, do they know it's Christmas, is the biggest seller with over 3.8 million copies. Now we'll really see who knows their music. Mary's boy child has been, oh Helen's in there, you're on my team any time. Number one, twice, in 1957 with Harry Belfonte and in 1978 with, wow. Oh my God, wow, I'm really impressed. And then we really hit the cream of musical gifts and heights and whatever else when in 1993 the number one was Mr. Blobby. <laughs> so music has always played a part at Christmas. Even in church, people, whether they come to church on the first Christmas, and part of my, my reading weekend, and thank you for the, that opportunity afforded to me um, twice a year, that, that helps me just to kind of lay everything else down and, and just kind of read and reflect and try and prepare for what lies ahead. Part of the reading week was to prepare for the Christmas services. And I thought that I would do just a, a short series on what I call the songs of Christmas as are found in Luke's Gospel. And then, of course, we turned up at church last Sunday morning and Charles decided to read and preach from Zechariah's song. Um, but anyway, we'll get that again next week and every week's time as well. But however, this morning, what I want to do is look at what is referred to as Mary's song or as it is perhaps better known as the Magnificat. Because the Latin, bit of culture coming, if my pronunciation is right, the Latin of Luke, 146 is Magnificat Anima Mia Dominium, which means my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary, as you will know by this point, has had the visit from the angel Gabriel telling her the news that, that she is with child that she is to give birth to a son, that you are to call him Jesus, that, that he will be great, he will be called son of the most high God, that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob for, forever. His kingdom will never end. Imagine getting that message from an angel. Staggering news. 
Staggering news. And I'm not going to get into all the debate about how old Mary was or, or, or whatever. Whatever age you are, that is staggering news to receive. And all kinds of thoughts and fears and worries must have been going through her. Yet we see her complete acceptance and her submission to both the will and to the word of God for her. In verse 38 of chapter 1, she simply says this. And here's something for every Christian to really echo. She says this. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said, such submission and acceptance of the will of God and that was a difficult thing for her and through the word of God. And in that kind of situation, it seems to me that she needs someone to talk to. <laughs> she needs someone to draw alongside. And so she heads off an emotional meeting that is described in verses 39 to 44 of Luke chapter 1. And after a conversation where, where the baby and, and Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy at Mary's greeting, which, which probably included everything that had happened to her, Mary bursts into song. And what a song it is. And what great truths it contains. So let's look at this song of Mary. And I want to just split it into two, two main headings, although in the second heading we've got kind of four subheadings, but if I said six, well, three. Simple. This song begins with Mary's personal feelings and is indeed a note of praise and thanksgiving. Look what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here we have Mary, whatever age she is, here we have Mary with all of her inmost being lifting up her voice in praise to God and for all that God has and is and will do. The scholars tell us that the verb glorifies is in the present continuous tense. My soul keeps on glorifying the Lord. Here is a young woman who knows perpetually praise the Lord. But then there is a kind of difference of tense, the scholars tell us, when we come to my spirit rejoices. And that seemingly is in the past tense. And usually refers to a single action in the past. Seems to me that Mary is, is, is continually, continually praising and, and, and glorifying the Lord and, and also kind of rejoicing in, in, in the news that the angel's just given her which was a one-off. And that got me thinking, really, really simple, forgive the simplicity, but it got me thinking, do we have an attitude of perpetual praise? Does our very inner being, that which is deep within it, does it glorify the Lord? My soul 
glorifies the Lord, she cries out. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's an important statement, that. Mary speaks here of rejoicing in God, my, that is, her Savior. Mary, as much as we can learn from her submission and from her obedience and from the high and the holy calling that was bestowed upon her by God, Mary was still in need of a Savior. Because Mary, like everyone else born into this world, was a sinner. When she speaks of God, my Savior, she recognizes that she is in need of salvation. In a dream to Joseph, the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. And friends, that is something that every single one of us individually need to acknowledge. So how is my, your, our gratitude towards the Lord? Do you know this morning Whatever it is that you're going through, and I know some are going through a real difficult time, but think on what Mary was going through here as well. But whatever it is that you are going through, do you know what it is to rejoice in God, my Savior? Or my then in verse 48, there, there is further gratitude when she recalls just how God has been mindful of her. And, and, and notice, again, her humility of his servant. She sees herself no more uh, than, than a servant of the Most High God. And if we are in Christ, that's all we are. Servants of the Most High God. She, she is just in an ordinary young Jewish woman. But she is one who trusts in God. And God saw that. And God honored that. And God gave to her the greatest of all tasks to bring into the world his son. Wow. Wow. If you've ever had the, the joy, you know that, that, that hymn says, how sweet to hold a newborn baby. If, if you've ever had that joy of, of, of holding and everything, can you imagine Mary? God in the flesh. This is the wonder of Christmas. What an honor God bestowed on her to bring into the world his son. Nobody, nobody is a nobody in the eyes of God. You do not know what God can and what God will do through those who, like Mary, are humble and are obedient both to his word and to his work.
And I think part of the problem is when, when, when we look at Mary, we get polarized right away. And there's, there's those who exalt her to a place that Scripture would never give. And then there's those who demote her to a place that Scripture would never give either. She was a follower of the Most High God. And God saw that and God blessed her. What is meant by from now on? All generations will call me blessed. Well, as I said, there is no doubt that, that Mary sets an example. There is no doubt that she was greatly blessed by God. Indeed, as the angel said, you who are highly favored. But as I said, we must never elevate her to a place that Scripture doesn't allow. She's not to be worshipped. She, as we have seen, was a sinner in need of a savior like everyone else. But there is no doubt she does have a special place in the unfolding of God's redemption plan. And we can learn from her. And we can see how blessed by God she truly was. And I would suggest that may we, like her, show gratitude to God for all his favor, for all his blessings, for all the great things that he has done for me, for you, for us. Mary's gratitude. Secondly, notice God's greatness. Mary moves from her, her gratitude to God's greatness. And I think we see at least, I, I started off with three, but I've actually now got four. I, I think we now see at least four attributes of this great God. Notice how she speaks of the mighty one, God's power. She speaks of holy as his name, God's purity. She speaks of God's mercy, his pardoning. And she speaks of God's faithfulness, his promises. What a God that is we serve. It is a song that is rich in theology. Mary knew her Old Testament and, and, and uh, in the book of 1 Samuel 2, the, the song of Hannah. It's interesting to compare the two. There's also some of the Psalms that are included in, in this song. So her song was steeped in Scripture and in a knowledge of Scripture. So let's consider these great attributes of this great God. Firstly, in verse 49, Mary sings of the mighty one and begins by saying how he has done great things for me. That is great things for her. And we've already considered some of these great things. And what I would do, I would encourage you to think on some of the great things that this great God has done for you. See, God is not some distant grandfatherly figure up in the sky. He has done great things for you. It speaks of, despite his mighty power, he, he is actually a personal God. That is the whole meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God in Jesus came for us. God in Jesus came for me. God in Jesus came for you. But notice how his power and his might is displayed in other ways from their throne. Verse 54, he has helped his people out. Notice the amount of times we read he has. <laughs> and the reason he has is because he is mighty in power. There is no God like our Jehovah. Never ever, friend, bring God down to your understanding. 
Never ever try and fit God into your imagination or, or into your little kind of six by four or three by two or, or, or whatever. No, he, he is the mighty one. He, he is all powerful. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the things works thy hand hath made, thank you. I see this, then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art. This is an insight into the nature of God that we must never, ever, ever lose sight of. If we want to live effectively and victorious lives for Jesus, then it is our God who rules and who reigns. It is our God who is the mighty one. It is he who has and who is and who will perform mighty deeds because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray, Lord, send that power. Lord, let that power be known. Do you remember the prayer? The prayer of the early church in Acts chapter 4. Peter and and John had been in prison and and they were released from prison. And first thing they go is a prayer meeting. So come along tonight. And in Acts 4, we read them praying. This is what they say. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Almighty one, show your power once again. See, friends, God is over all because God created and God sustains all. Rest in that great truth, whatever you're going through. One writer says this, Though the heathen rage ever so furiously, they are not able to disturb his mighty plan. Whatever may be the immediate fate of men or of nations, it's appropriate just now, isn't it? Whatever may be the immediate fate of men, finally triumph as a God of power and he is our God. Then we read that holy is his name. That speaks of purity. That speaks of of perfection. Our God is a holy God. I, I, I think in general, it's always dangerous to speak generally, but anyway, I think we've lost something of that attribute of God. God is holy. Holy is his name. In in, in biblical times, the name, somebody's name, was often used to sum up in in, in some way the whole character and and the whole personality of the person concerned. That there, there is power in the name of Jesus. At his name, demons flee. Henriksen, in his commentary, says that to ascribe holiness to God meant to describe him as being lifted infinitely, infinitely, sorry, above all creatures. So it's that image, isn't it, of Isaiah 6. 
I believe a proper understanding of the holiness of God is so important. I, I was reminded when I think on this, I was reminded of uh, dear brother Edward Holloway who used to say often, he is not God Almighty. He is God Almighty. He is the thrice holy God. Holy is his name. God's power. God's purity. And then Mary fixes her song on, on what I see is God's mercy. She, she's already alluded to that when she speaks of God, her saviour. But, but we, see, we see that kind of extended just to more than just beyond Mary to, to, to others. That mercy, look, look verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Do you see there, friend, the all-encompassing mercy of God? That mercy that covers the generations. That mercy that crosses all man-made barriers, be that color, class, creed, or whatever. And if you, I think we can look, if we, you notice, you look, that we see something of the mix of his power and of his mercy that it unleashes blessing on those who fear him. That doesn't mean, we've looked at this countless times before, to fear the Lord doesn't mean to kind of hide behind us a tea that you maybe used to do if the Daleks came on in Doctor Who or something. It just means a reverential trust in the holiness of God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Look at the times, as I said earlier, from verses 50 down to 54, the emphasis on he has he has. It is all of God. Mighty deeds have been performed. Look to think of the mighty deed that has been performed even in the life of Mary. Think of the mighty deed that was performed on the cross of Calvary because the baby of Bethlehem grew to be the Christ of the cross. The great things that he has done. He scatters those who are proud and who have no time for him. <coughs> He's brought down rulers from their th thrones. Let me just stop there for a minute and again. Are you worried about Brexit? Are you worried about the upcoming election? Don't be. God's in control. I, I'm not just saying that glibly. I, I actually believe that God is speaking to us as a nation through these things. Doesn't mean that we don't have our part to play by praying. Scripture's clear that we pray for those in authority. I think also that, it's, that we should use our vote. But God's in control. God's in control of whatever situation you think on the Sermon on the Mount. He fills the hungry with good things. He helps. He remembers. He is faithful. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is kind. He is loving. And friends, there is no God like our God. Do you know this God? Not about him. Do you know him? 
Lamentations 3, verse 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. <coughs> the flip side of that is if it were not for his love, we would be consumed. For his compassion never fails. One other attribute we see is in verses 54 and 55. We see God's, what I see here, God's faithfulness towards his promises. God will keep his promises. Every promise is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. God can be trusted. If God says it, God will do it. Think on some of the, the promises that you've been bombarded with in recent weeks from all kinds of different politicians. I, I, I hardly doubt any one of them. Here is God. God is faithful to his promises. And it seems to me that what Mary is reflecting on here, what Mary is, because she's in an attitude of gratitude, um, she, she's continually rejoicing and perpetual praising of God. And I, I think here she, she, she is rejoicing as she remembers God's promises down through the years. The, the greatest to, for, for which the, the, the people of Israel and, and the Jewish nation was for the coming of the Messiah. He's helped his servant Israel in the past. But that promise that was given to Abraham and right down of a promised Messiah is now about to be fulfilled. And it's to be, to be fulfilled in Mary. Poor, humble, godly Mary is the means of which the Messiah will be brought into the world. But you see, friends, really this song, it's not about Mary. It's about God. It is about the God who is great. It is about the God who is all-powerful. It is about the God who is all-pure. It is about the God who pardons. It is about the God who is faithful to his promises. And when you stop, amid all that goes on just now, but when you stop and when you consider such a God, when you actually know such a God as your Savior, just like Mary, and of worship, concerning the greatness of this God. He was Mary's God. He is my God. What about you this morning? Do you know him as your God and as of your Savior? Then if you do, we can sing all the more gustly Sing with me. How great is our God. Let's sing.